Hey, this is Dan Hasty, and you're listening to the Tigers Minor League Report. Welcome to the Detroit Tigers Minor League Tracker Podcast. I'm your host, Keena Carter, joined today by two very special guests. And these special guests could not be special in any more different ways than they are. <laughs> First of all, my good buddy, Mark Garash, is special in his own way. Welcome this morning, Mark. How you doing, too? Pretty good. Hey, if you could tweet coherently, we wouldn't even have to have you on the podcast. Yeah, my, my typing skills kind of ruin my message, but it's me. Nah, I love you, buddy. You're, you're a good friend. Um, and then joining us also, someone who everyone adores, the voice of the West Michigan Whitecaps, Mr. Dan Hasty. Dan, really appreciate you coming on the show today. Keenan, thanks. And you know what? I think that that's the charm of Mark is the fact that whenever he does tweet, it kind of has that vibe of like, how does my dad feel about what's going on with the Tigers? I like that. About <laughs> that's beautifully said. Beautifully said. Dan, um, it's been a tough year for you down in West Michigan for the fans and for the club down there. They're really grinding. Uh, are you ready to, for some Detroit Titans basketball yet? Or are you still enjoying this? Oh, what do we have? 33 games left, but hey, who's counting? Uh, I mean, look, I mean, it's, it's been a long summer for West Michigan. I mean, they're 35 and 71 and, you know, they've, they've really gotten younger. And that's one thing that we've all kind of been, I don't want to say staring down the barrel, but essentially, you know, the Whitecaps have always been a really old Midwest league team. I mean, their average age over the course of the last couple of seasons has been something close to 23 and a half, 24 years old. And, Look, if you've got 23- and 24-year-old players in low A, they ain't prospects. So, you know, what's happening now is they're scaling back, and the average age of just about every, you know, one of the prospects right now is about 21 years old. So, yeah, they're getting younger, but now here comes that learning curve that we all waited for, and we, we kind of knew we were set to get at some point, so now we're just kind of paying the bill after all those good years. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and you know, I just want to say personally, Dan, on behalf of myself, I just want to thank you for all the support you've given me over the last year and a half and supporting in my efforts, even when I get a little whiny from time to time uh, on Twitter and beyond. And then also for, you know, my partners over at Tigers Minor League Report since we've launched the last week or so, been incredibly supportive uh, of our efforts and just want to thank you for that, uh, for, your, for your access to being a resource and uh, trying to help get our name out uh, where you can. No, I'm happy to do it. There's, you know, there's been a void in coverage of the minor leagues, and I think you guys fill it perfectly. So I think you guys are doing a nice job. And the best part is, and I think you've used this, you know, this phrase a ton of times, but an army of scouts, an army of eyeballs looking around every single player in the minor league system. And, look, that's what this needs. And there's too many outlets out there that don't rely on what they see. They rely on what a web page tells them. You guys don't. So that's what I like about what you guys are doing. I appreciate that. We, we're also big fans of the Road to Detroit podcast, so uh, please make sure you're subscribed to that. Dan started uh, hosting that this year. He's put out, what, 10, 10 11 episodes now? Uh, fantastic yeah. coverage. Yeah, uh, live interviews with our some of our top prospects and just covers it from top to bottom, does a great job with that, so please check that out. All right, so the, the title of this, this podcast series is, is Don't Call It a Rebuild, right, because that's what we refer to this as a lot is a rebuild, but what Mark and I have been – uh, talking about a lot in our circles is this is team building. Team building is something that you do whether your major league team is in contention or not. It's it's about uh, having habits 
within your player procurement process, with your scouting process that that you are uh, religious about, that you adhere to over time, and that leads to results. Um, so, Mark, I, I, I teed that up a little bit, but do you want to touch on that a little bit more? Wow, I, I, I've brainwashed you. I'm a little worried about it now. Um, I couldn't have said it any better myself. What I really I, – I wanted to talk to Dan because – I think people need to start comprehending what prospects at each level start looking like. Now, you you can draft skills, you can draft profiles. It's part of the process, but you need to be consistent with it. But, you know, Dan and I have talked about it. You and I and all the people at Tigers Minor League Report talk about it constantly. But players in low A, they, they – are not a finished product. They may have skills, but they don't necessarily repeat them consistently or they're in evolution. And what players look like in the Midwest League is vastly different than what they may look like at high A or double A, et cetera. Plus, I also wanted to touch on teams year after year after year seem to be pretty good especially in the Midwest League, at finding players that seem to perform well, even though they may be skill-wise not as polished. And I wanted to touch on those two things. So, Dan, I I wanted you to try to, you know, bring the light about how different a Midwest player, Midwest League player may look in, in in his tenure there and how he may look later, and if you could cite an example or two, it might be very helpful. Sure. Uh, you know, when it comes to trying to get somebody, you know, straightened out in the Midwest League, I mean, sometimes that takes a long time. Uh, you know, I think, you know, you can ask Jim Leland. He's big on this, too. He'll, and I know you guys might want to not hear this part, but he loves to say that the hardest jump is performing at double A. So if you break it down, essentially what – Every minor league player development system is trying to do is get guys ready for double A. And if you can perform there, it's pretty convincing that you can play in the big league. So, like, even if a guy goes to triple A and struggles, I mean, like Kyle Funkhauser, a good example of that right now, good in double A, struggles in triple A. Typically, if you can pitch in double A, you have a pretty good chance of making the big league. So that's why I don't think the Hayes left the barn on a guy like Funkhauser. But, you know, in terms of players in the Midwest League, I mean, Matt Manning was a great example. You know, he essentially had his worst professional experience in terms of statistics with the Whitecaps in the Midwest League. You know, he got hit around pretty bad, especially I remember his first two starts. I mean, maybe he didn't even make it through two innings. I mean, he just got ran off the mound in his first two games. He was, it was certainly overwhelmed, but he got better. And, you know, the Midwest League is kind of that stop for guys where they're going to find their identity as a player and as soon as they find it is when they get on the fast track but usually I don't want to say it stalls out in West Michigan but that's where the biggest learning curve takes place and you look at Manning's numbers numbers were not good in 2017 he got his late season audition for class a but then in 2018 he started there and he started to really figure things out really quick and it became apparent that he was just way too good for the competition he had. But that took him about a year to figure out. And, 
you know, how that relates, you know, you look at what he's done since he's gone up. He's been better at every other level since he's gone up the system. So, you know, you want to get guys ready, but sometimes they have to take their lumps, and that's just where a lot of guys, especially high school kids, tend to do that. So I think on the way up, that's where they, they kind of want to see him learn on the fly. I think Wenzel Perez is the same way. So they're going to let them kind of take their licks here and then figure it out, and once they do, then they'll skyrocket. So it's it's a lot of times players have skills. They're just not necessarily refined or – they need to the adversity causes them to expand their skill set or refine their skill set. So I mean maybe we can add, you know, a Parker Meadows or even a Sam McMillan into the discussion of what kind of evolution have you seen this year from, you know, Perez, Meadows and McMillan, three pretty young guys, uh, over the course of the year and you know, how have they got better or have they got better? Yeah, I think I think in Meadows' case, he's probably the most encouraging of those three guys you just mentioned. Um, you know, it doesn't take much. You just you can look at what he's done month by month, and the numbers have incrementally gotten better each month. Um, you know, I think he's probably all three of these guys, and this brings me no joy to say, but if I'd had to guess, I'd say that all three of these guys will open next season in West Michigan as well. Um, you know, I mean, just look at the numbers. I mean. You know, McMillan, Meadows, Perez, they're all hitting about 220. So, you know, that that's one of those lines that says maybe you need a little more time down here. And look, I mean, like we said, Matt Manning started the following season in the Midwest League, and he's just fine. Look at him now. So more than likely, I think all three of those guys are back in West Michigan next season, all as 20-year-olds. But, you know, when it comes to McMillan, uh, he's kind of a hard case to figure out. I don't know exactly what to make of Sam. Uh, he's he's quite good at pitch recognition, but he hasn't barreled up nearly as many balls as you would think for a guy who draws a ton of walks. I mean, he puts himself in hitters' counts all the time, but it just in terms of hard contact, it's just been kind of few and far between. So I, I think, and obviously if you put yourself in hitters' counts, you're going to have more pitches to drive, and as time goes on, I think he will barrel them up, but it's just been a lot of opportunity for a little result. The on-base percentage is there, though. I think he's over 400. But Meadows, uh, defensively, he's interesting that way, too. I don't think he's a center fielder. Um, I think he's fast, but maybe not as fast as we thought. Um, but he'll certainly play fine in the corner. Um, just continues to need to work on his reads, his instincts, things like that. Um, pretty important that he needs to continue developing that as well. That's just as important as is the bat, but Wenzel Perez, I, I'm still kind of waiting for, for the improvement. Um, you know, he'll have a good game or two, and then we won't see him for about five days. So, the last night, I think he had two errors at shortstop, and they were just simply, and you can look back at the video, you probably already have, but, I mean, they were just standard ground balls that, like, you and I might have a shot at making. So, <laughs> maybe I'm maybe I'm putting a little bit too much on us, but, you know, again, it's just the routine plays have been really, really tough for Perez this year. So that's the area of his game that he probably needs to clean up, at least defensively. And then the offensive side, you know, he, he's definitely a different guy than we saw last year. Midwest League pitchers and teams have been able to adjust to him. But Wenzel's going to have to figure it out. He's going to have to increase his hard contact. But we saw it last year, so you know it's there. So, Dan, let me ask you real quick. Um, I, I agree with 
what you said that those three players should start next year at West Michigan. Um, the the one thing I want to draw draw back on is that the Tigers started Ray Rivera off in Lakeland this year, and I was completely dumbfounded by that because he had not come close to conquering Midwest League pitching, and it was a disaster for him down there in the Florida State League for a solid month or so before they said, all right, this is developmentally, he belongs back in the Midwest League. Do you think the Tigers will will continue to take that approach of, we're, all right, we're, we're going to push guys level to level like those three we just talked about, even if we we don't think they're quite ready, or are they going to back up a little bit and say, right, we, we want to see a real mastery of this level before we push you to the next one? No, I think they're going to stay aggressive. Uh, you know, back in 2015, that was my first year in West Michigan. And, you know, the first lineup, the first game lineup of that 2015 season had guys who were also in the lineup the day they won the championship. It was rare to see a guy get promoted back then. And that was under Dave Dombrowski for the majority of that first season. But what happened was they simply left guys at a level all year, and they let them build up their prospects back by, you know, essentially just, I guess the best way to say it is by dominating. And that's really not the case anymore. I mean, there were probably four to five guys that could have been on the Midwest League All-Star team for West Michigan this year, but they promoted all of them within about a month and a half to Lakeland. And those guys have struggled by and large since they've gone there. I mean, there's been a couple of exceptions, but you know, uh, overall, they've probably lost a little bit of prospect value by jumping guys up a little bit. And look, that, I mean, it's to each their own. I mean, if you want to be aggressive with guys, I mean, and just talking to some of the front office guys, they think that if you're a certain age, you need to be at a certain level. You know, that's one reason why you're not going to find as many 23-year-olds in the GCL, or at least you shouldn't. But, you know, guys who were just drafted. I mean, essentially the first 10 rounds of the draft are already in West Michigan. I mean, that, that's one of the first times that has happened on such a mass scale. Now, granted, part of the reason is because of how much the West Michigan side struggled to start this year. But that's why they put all those guys in West Michigan. They might have to flame out this year and then kind of recalibrate for next season. But if nothing else, they're going to have a very good idea of what they have to deal with when they get back. Okay. Excellent. So, so part of this this team building conversation that that Mark and I wanted to have with you has to I like do the with... rebuild team build. By the way, it reminds me of that old <laughs> medicine commercial where these like it's not a going problem, it's a growing problem. Anyway, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, what what we wanted to talk to you about is you know what what are other successful organizations doing at the low A level um, because. No- the top Midwest League Eastern Division standings, look who's there. It's the Bowling Green Hot Rods, Tampa Bay, Great Lakes Loons, Dodgers, Lake County Captains, Cleveland Indians. These are organizations that we've long respected uh, for their player development process, and they tend to have strong farm systems um, no matter what the big league club's record is. So we wanted to talk a little bit about what you're seeing consistently year after year out of those organizations coming through the Midwest League. Well, I would say some of the things that, you know, you see from different teams that come into town, I definitely see unique styles. Um, <laughs> there there are things that I notice that some teams do, especially the more analytically driven teams that are always really interesting. Uh, you know, the, the Blue Jays are a team that I know is analytically driven, but I don't think they've had the success in finding the talent they've wanted to get to the major leagues, aside of, you know, your Vlad Jr. and your, your Boba Chess, but 
know, I, I see I see our groundskeeper like putting lines out on the infield during BP, and you never put lines out by like shortstop, but like he's putting lines out and like they're going through drills for their infielders between like it almost looked like a three cone drill in the NFL combine. It's just bizarre. So you know, <laughs> watching something like that. Uh, I remember the Diamondbacks, who are really starting to get some forward momentum as a as a prospect and analytically driven team. Uh, I've seen this in batting practice, and I'll never forget this. So our ballpark was just open to the public. It was like 5:30 on a Friday night, and the deal was was the King County Cougars. That's their Midwest League team. Their coaches have actually done this at their ballpark. They hadn't done it at any other one. But the way they were doing it was they had all of their players throw baseballs up and try to hit them over the fence from home plate. Now, I don't know how much analytics is involved in that. But for some reason, they're doing it. And I just remember it had sent all of our employees, like, ducking for cover. It was like Baghdad out there. And all of a sudden, everybody was just hiding. So I remember watching all these guys just throwing the ball up and just slamming them over the fence. And Teams are are interesting. I mean, one thing I noticed for – Overall, there's a lot of teams in the Midwest League, and I'm sure they're in the South Atlantic League if you're talking about Class A, but roster manipulation is something that has become kind of a buzzword around our league. So there are teams that make roster moves every day, sometimes multiple times. West Michigan slash the Tigers, they don't really do that very much, and it's kind of cost them in the sense of Sometimes they don't have enough relievers. I mean, obviously the pitching staff has struggled this year, third lowest ERA in the league, and sometimes they just run out of guys. And thus, that's why the ERA goes farther up, because either they're extending guys too far or they've got to throw a position player. And there's other teams that just don't do that. I mean, they, they simply just have the bodies available. So those are a few of the things that I've noticed other teams doing. You know, Dan, I, I, I have a buzzword for that that I use often when I'm describing – the thought process of these teams, and it's it's called new age thinking, and I think it, it basically permeates the entire system the way they run things. They they're very forward thinking. They try things. They're aggressive in thought. They do things that start out being unconventional, then become conventional because they work. You know, the opener would be a great answer to that. And and I worry. I tease them about this, but I'm not really teasing them. The Tiger organization, they've bought all the equipment now. They, they're, they you know, not unaware of what other teams are doing. But they remind me of the grandfather that gets the most, you know, new age piece of technology, gets frustrated with it for after 10 minutes and goes back to a lot of, what they're comfortable with, and that, that, that's in many ways what concerns me about, yeah, we're a great analytics team. Well, maybe you ought to try using them a lot more into how you're managing your system or managing particular games, and I think a lot of what you just spoke to in some ways is examples of that. I know it's difficult to criticize them, but, you know, that's that's what concerns me somewhat because there are so many teams that give examples of forward thinking and success, and some of them are in our division that are in the Midwest League that you see all the time. I think we're leaving Minnesota out of that equation, and Minnesota's doing a heck of a job, you know, building 
a really successful organization from top to bottom. Yeah, you know, I, I, I know where you're coming from. And look, I mean, I got a MacBook like three years ago. Didn't mean I knew how to use it. I mean, you know, it's just every, the thing is, is that just a lot of these teams, and I'd say the majority of teams in Major League Baseball have most of the same information. And now it's just a question of what you value more than other things. And, you know, I mean, look, I mean, the, the, the truth is in the numbers. And I know our buddy Chris Brown put out the tweet a couple of days ago saying, you know, how many 15-plus home run hitters do you have in your minor league organization? The Tigers had just one. So, you know, it, it's been slim pickings in that area. And, you know, what, whatever that formula was, at least at the time in which they tried it, didn't work. And I think they have adjusted that thought process since. Um, you know, I'm very curious to see what this latest draft class looks like because I know they're always kind of tweaking that formula as to what they're looking for. So, you know, they're, they're going to obviously have some lumps because they're probably getting challenged with an aggressive Midwest League assignment. A lot of these guys in typical years would be down in Connecticut, so they're, they're really kind of throwing a baptism by fire in this instance, but they're, you know, we'll, we'll see what they are. They have a couple of guys that actually have been pretty impressive. So I'll, I'll, I'll leave judgment on those guys until we see a little bit more of them. Hey, hey Dan, I want to, I want to speak to something because I, I'm uninformed about what they look like. You watch them every night. So let's take, let's take a few teams in the Midwest league that have had, you know, a pretty decent amount of player development success besides on the field success. Let's take the Dodgers, you know, great legs. Let's take uh, Bowling Green. And since Houston is in the Midwest League at Quad Cities, you know, there, there are quite a – and Arizona would also now be a pretty good example of this. Those teams seem to have a lot of players make the Midwest League all-star team, which is not maybe the best idea of player development because it's more on performance it's more sometimes a good half season it doesn't adjust for age but I think historically those teams over the past few years have had a pretty decent degree of success and this year unfortunately the Tigers only had one Midwest League All-Star representative in Oryorski who I think is repeating the Midwest League this year is he not or no he spent about a week in the Midwest League last year, so okay. I wouldn't say that he had a, a long, extended run. I mean, we got to know him a little bit. All right. And I, and I think that although Boyerski has had a really, really good year, a really good, you know, power year, I think the profile of him as a player, what he is and what typically Dodger players or Tampa players have <laughs> recently streams to the different profile and process those teams use what at least until recently, and they've actually started to become slightly better at this, what Tiger profile and process about hitters are, and especially as it, you know, as you define drawing walks would be a part of that process. So I, I was curious if you could talk a little bit about why those teams seem to have a lot more players succeeding in the Midwest League and why maybe Detroit at least this year has not. I guess the best way to look at that is just to, you know, because I think it's just how data gets interpreted. I mean, you know, you only wonder, you kind of wonder how many guys these different teams see at length as opposed to, 
you know, seeing, you know, data that comes in on a computer and just saying, you know what, this guy checks all the boxes. And I know we only saw him one or two times, but, you know, let's, let's make him a, a 13th round draft pick. You know what I mean? But, you know, in terms of, you know, the profiles, they are taking guys. And I noticed this this past year, and I even in a sense noticed it the year before, guys who had a really good walk to strikeout rate. And for one reason or another, those strike, those rates really haven't, maintained or even you know improved or even stay the same from based on what they had so it's it's a little confusing because you know you look at some other teams and you look at their draft classes and you go okay well you know is it the all these guys are patient too and so are the guys at Detroit pick so why is that discipline translating with those guys and not translating with these guys you know so that that's something that you know I think it just comes down to what within the data do you value most and how you and how you kind of decipher that code kind of really helps you figure out what's going to translate and what's not going to but you talked about Ulrich Boyarski you know he's he's kind of gone under a learning curve second half has been kind of rough for Ulrich he had a really good first half he was an all-star he had 320 and I think he's hitting about maybe 190 since the all-star break so he's been kind of in a in a long slump which he's just starting now to get out of but very aggressive, hyper-aggressive, few walks, lots of strikeouts, and you know, thankfully he hits the ball hard. But you know, you know as much as anybody that, you know, if you hit the ball really hard, that's all fine and good. But at the end of the day, when you're on base percentages in like the 330s, there are guys who can hit 100 points less than you and have a higher OBP. So, you know, it's all relative when it comes to value. Yep. It, you know, like I said, it's sometimes you can have quick cooking. You can have all the same ingredients, but it tastes different when when you mix them all together. That's kind of what my some of my concerns are. All right, well, Danny, I, I really appreciate you spending some time with us. Really generous of you to to share your viewpoints. You see these players much more than we do, and it's really important, I think, as we try to educate Tiger fans as to where we are in this rebuilding process what exactly they're looking at and what their expectations should be of players based upon age, level, and, and certain skill set. So uh, I, I can't thank you enough for spending some time with us. Well, I'm just glad we didn't have to talk 20 minutes about bunting. That's the best no. part of this whole thing. Key, <laughs> you, you, you want to share I, your perspective on the bunting? I, I've exhausted that topic. I've exhausted that topic. I, I committed to not talking about it anymore. But people... That's the best thing about Keenan is that he doesn't have to explain it anymore. We all know it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everybody knows my perspective on that, and it's okay to have different ones. And um, it was nice that Chris Brown had an opportunity to sit down with Lance, ask him the question. He, he chatted with Parker Meadows, asked him the question. So, hey, we've got everybody's perspective. Everybody knows how I feel about it, and I don't want to like Jerry Springer's it. final thought. It's just you know it's there, <laughs> end of every show. Yeah, but then, you know, then people got to pull me into the conversation again. Robert James has to tweet it every time somebody squares around a bunt now. So I, I, I can't get away from it. Uh, uh, now I'm the bunting guy. Uh, See, what I fun. don't understand, here, here's, and, I, and again, we don't want to get off on this tangent, but like the worst part is when somebody tweets out a highlight complaining about bunting for a guy that hits first base with a bunt single. I'm like, dude, so, he got the first base. <laughs> well, you know. It's like if he, if he sucks at bunting and he bunts it right back to the mound every time, that's a whole different story. <laughs> like, like he got the first, man. 
Yeah, well, yeah, Victor Reyes dropped one down last night, I think, a successful bunt attempt, right? And uh, I just like I just can't complain when guys get hit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if you can't do it, then do not do it for the life of you. Please stop wasting everyone's time. <laughs> I understand, Dan. I understand. And, and, and to reiterate what Mark said, really appreciate you coming on. Make sure you follow Dan at that Dan Hasty, um, and subscribe to the Road to Detroit podcast, please. Dan, hope you have a great time in South Bend in your tour of Touchdown Jesus, and I hope you got some nice amenities in that hotel because uh, there's not much else to do in South Bend. <laughs> That's right. It's, it's that, and it's watching the movie Rudy on loop. I think they have it on one of the TV stations here nonstop. Life in the Midwest League. Outstanding. Boys, good job. Appreciate the time. Thanks very much, Dan. Thanks, Danny.